Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 138 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we're living in, and it's certainly changing every day that goes by at the moment. As always, we have interesting guests. Today's is particularly special because he comes from a part of the world where we haven't had guests from before, and he's going to talk about what we believe is some really important stuff, so I think you'll enjoy it. But it's not my job to introduce guests. Kathleen does it so much better than I do. Let me welcome my co-host Kathleen and give her a quick plug to say she wears other hats and one of her big hats is uh, helping you solve your IT recruitment and development needs. So if you need help in that direction, get hold of Kathleen. So welcome Kathleen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great Peter and thank you for that plug, I appreciate it. And thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show, we so appreciate you. And of course we love reading your comments, so please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't uh, hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. He's coming to us from Portugal. Must be nice. <laughs> Welcome, Simon Stephen. How are you, Simon? I'm really good. Thanks, Kathleen. Peter, nice to see you as well. And thank you both for having me on the show. I'm really grateful. And yeah, thank you um, for mentioning Portugal as well. This is the, the forgotten country on the edge of Europe, but uh, it's a little piece of heaven and I love being here. Wonderful. So you are the founder and creator of Intercita, and we are going to get into that in just a little bit. But first, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, a bit about your background? Sure. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's funny, it doesn't matter how many times I'm asked that question, I never quite know where to start. And I think probably the band consider myself special in any way. And that's kind of why what I want to talk about, I think, resonates so much. Um, I'm a middle class guy. I was raised with good parents. I went to a good private school in Scotland. I'm from Scotland originally. Um, and, you know, I had all the, the makings of doing what most people do, right? And then I guess I had my, my sort of traumas when I was a little bit younger, like most kids do, and left school, thought, what am I going to do with my life? Had a couple of years of believing I could become a millionaire overnight and failing miserably like we all do. And then I met my wife and decided I needed a job, got into the corporate world and found that I was really pretty good at it. I got into financial services and banking. Um, I got very absorbed with the whole lifestyle that that created for me. I got incredibly driven, very focused on earning the money and uh, hitting my targets and doing all the things that we're supposed to do. Um, and 25 years later, I got myself to a point where I attempted suicide. And I had lost my wife and my children and my friends and my family. I had lost everything that meant something to me. And I had allowed it to happen because my behaviors had been so deplorable, so selfish, so self-centered, so greed-driven. And I'd allowed this to happen almost, like I always use the boiling frog analogy. I'd been a, a frog put in cold water with the temperature gradually increasing and I'd found myself being boiled to death without even realizing it. And in the years since then, in the three and a half years since I attempted suicide, my life has changed immeasurably because it's given me an opportunity to look around myself and try and understand what the triggers were and the causes and to look at the damage I'd done and so on. And the biggest part of that has been understanding that 
corporates as a whole are very poor at recognizing the damage that serious stress and serious pressure can do on their employees. And not enough is being done, in my opinion, to manage the mental health and welfare of employees. And I have become this evangelist, if you will, um, about talking to as many people as possible about trying to understand and recognize the signs of corporate burnout. And at the same time, trying to encourage companies to take more responsibility for their employees, particularly in light of the COVID pandemic and the sensitivities that we've all felt as a result of it. That's the, the potted history, Kathleen. How about that? Well, that's, uh, you know, I'm so glad that you're doing this because it is so absolutely needed. And I can relate. I think so many, so many people can relate. I mean, I was in the corporate world for uh, 15 years and I, I, could, I saw burnout every day um and it's 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 devastating because it oh yeah well let's let's continue chatting about that peter on you because i know sure. that. well I, I was going to ask you for your motivation of doing what you're doing you you've answered it very nicely so uh, and i know we're going to get into more detail excuse me as we move on yeah so but i know that um where did you i'm stealing something kathleen said she wanted to ask you but i'm going to go i do that all the time anyway so where did you come up with the idea for interceder so when i had my i call it a breakdown but it's it, i use that word because it's easier for people to understand because it wasn't a snap thing it, mm -hmm. it, it came over 25 years um when I attempted suicide, I was in a hotel room in London. I'd, I'd come back and you know, I, I'd been incredibly successful. Uh, I had all the trappings and all the things that the corporate world and the bigger wide world, and the social media world tells you are important. I had the cars and the houses and the first class airfares and the clothes and the watches and all the things. And so did my wife and so did my kids. And, you know, I thought I was doing great. And when I attempted suicide, it was on the back of a huge argument that I had my wife and my wife had sat me down and she said, I just don't like you. You are a horrible human being. I don't want to be with you. You are not a good father. You are not a good husband. You're not a good friend. You are selfish and ignorant and conceited and all these things. And I'd gone to London that week, just furious and angry. How dare she say these things to me? I'd provided for my family. I'd been this breadwinner and I was, you know, how dare she say these things to me? And what happened was that night, fueled largely by alcohol on the back of a big corporate dinner, I had gone to my hotel room. Um, I had forced open a hotel window. I had taken all my clothes off because for some reason, something in my head told me that if you're going to kill yourself, you should do it naked. I don't particularly know why, but I got done that. Um, and I sort of snapped awake, if you want to call it that, because I heard this siren in the background. I, I, there was something, I, just, I don't know whether it was police or ambulance, I'm not entirely sure. And I kind of came to and went, and I was leaning, I was sitting on the edge of the window and I was leaning forward about to just throw myself out, I was 10 floors up. Mm. And I had this moment of utter shock, fell backwards in through the window, sort of came to, if you want to call it that, or if some people sort of define it as being an out, almost an out of body thing. And it wasn't spiritual, it was a suddenly a coming to of my senses. And I'd folded all my clothes and I had, left money for the housekeeper because I obviously realized that I'd have to clear up all my mess in the morning. And um, more pertinently, I had, I'd written this letter 
to my wife and to my kids where I'd apologized. I'd written down everything, my sins, my shames. I had confessed to having an affair. I confessed to being, to all the things I'd done. Um, it was a confessional on paper. And when I went back home the next day, I didn't go and went to work the next morning, amazingly, and then left uh, Scotland. And I sat with my wife and we talked for the first time in years. And she said, okay, finally, it, it's happened. You've, you've seen something. But the sincerest form of apology is a consistent change of behavior. It's not enough just to say sorry. It's not enough just to make a few days work. This is going to require unbelievable work and I sat with my kids and with friends and family over the course of the next few months and I was shamed I was so ashamed of what they were saying about me of how horrible I'd been and that I was not a nice person and that you know it, it was unbearably hard to hear it and the first thing my wife and I did is we said you know what I can never go back to the corporate world I, I've got to do something different I've got to do a complete change and we had this opportunity to buy this remote hill farm in Portugal, which is where I am now. And I knew nothing about olives or grapes or sheep or farming equipment or tractors or anything. I had no idea about any of it. But I said, you know, why don't we do it? Why don't we do this? And I'm delighted to say my wife said yes. And we sold up everything and we got rid of everything we had. And we bought this place out here and it was run down and dilapidated and needed huge amounts of work. And we did it together. And while this was going on, I was starting to embark on a journey in therapy and I was beginning to understand myself. I was writing daily diaries. I was starting to do things that I had always believed were a whole lot of woolly nonsense. I'd started to meditate, I started to do gratitude journals and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, when I first started doing, it, I was like, come on, Simon, gratitude journal, seriously, you're going to do this every day. I do it religiously now. I do it every day, still do it every day. And we bought this place and I had no intention of, of, of doing anything from a business perspective. I, I simply thought, you know, if I can make the farm work, if I can make it earn some money, um, if I can make it pay for itself, that's all good. I was lucky. I had some money in the bank. I'm not denying that I was lucky in that regard. And then a year ago, my wife, quite understandably and quite rightly said, OK, I love you your change is remarkable, the, your, your transformation as a human being is extraordinary. I, I've never seen a transformation like it. You are the husband I've always wanted. You're the dad the kids have always wanted. You're the friend that people have wanted. You've really transformed yourself and you're going through this huge journey, but actually I've given you everything of myself for so long and I can't be with you anymore. And I need to have a life for myself. And whilst it was heartbreaking, I get it. I totally understood it. It, it, it was she absolutely deserves to have the life she's always deserved to have ever because whilst I was giving her all the material things I was never giving her what she actually needed and so she went and I'm sitting here and I'm going what am I going to do what the heck am I going to do here so I had this idea and I thought well, you know this farm has become this hugely cathartic thing for me. It's helped me to rediscover or to discover myself, not rediscover, but discover myself. It's helped me learn about peace and tranquility and calm. And what if I open this place up to other people to come here who are maybe suffering from PTSD or stress or whatever it may be. And then from there, it was, well, what if I actually coached people 
what if I actually went and spoke to people and said, look, I'm prepared to put my hands up here and say I was an awful human being, but it is possible to change. And here's the journey I went through. Would that help people? And what if I went to talk to companies and I started talking to them about how they could be better to their employees, how they could care for their employees more, to talk about the benefits of employee welfare and how it increases productivity and how it increases loyalty rather than diminishes it. Um, what if at the same time I could write more? I could write articles for newspapers, for magazines, for all these kind of things. And none of it had a commercial side to it at all. I wasn't interested in the money. It was just, could I open this up? And the interceded bit, torcida is a Portuguese word. It means twisted. And on my farm, there's this cork tree that has a twist in it. And my wife and I had always seen this cork tree and gone, hey, twisty. Every day we'd walk past it and go, hey, twisty. And torcidas is a wonderful word, Portuguese word. And I thought, well, if you, is there an untwisted? An untwisted is intorcida. So to untwist yourself. So I just had this idea, what about the brand? And I'm calling it intorcida, it's about untwisting your life. It's about you as an individual, or you as an organization, or you as a corporate, or whatever it may be, trying to understand that chasing the illusion of corporate success is a mistake. It's, it's dangerous. It has pitfalls. Believing what you see on social media, believing what you read in the papers, believing that somehow having a bigger car than your neighbor, having the bigger house than your friends, being more successful than your parents is not what it's about. It's just not. And I am a living testament. I'm delighted to say still living, but living testament to the fact that getting rid of those things and looking inwardly and being kinder and being caring and being more respectful and being more gentle and all these things, the benefits so outweigh anything you could ever achieve in the corporate world. And this, this idea. And so I now go out and promote it and I talk about it and I'm lucky I get calls from companies who say to go in and talk to them and give them counsel and advice. I get calls from individuals and I get calls from friends and all kinds of things. It's kind of come from there. And now I know that was a very, very long winded answer, Peter, but it was the only way I could articulate how it came about because for me, it's not a company. It's an idea. It's simply an idea. I, I think that's, that's a wonderful answer. And, and testament to that is I've kept my mouth shut for the last, I don't know how many minutes, which for me is a miracle, but as Kathleen will tell you, that, that is, I haven't got words to, to tell you how much impact what you just said had on, on me. And I'm sure many in our audience, because I've trod a similar road as have many. So I really hear what you're saying. And I've ended up not in the same place as you, but in a, vastly different place to when I was in the corporate world and also my own business. So yes, I have a taste of the benefits. Absolutely. I got to ask you quickly though, why Portugal? My mother uh, was and still is the first lady master of wine in the world. She, uh, in 1970, she qualified as the first ever female Master of Wine is still a very, very elite group. I think there are only 400 in the world and they are the wow. world's experts on wine and viticulture and viniculture. My mother went to university in Lisbon where she studied port in particular ah. as a specialism. And she became very close to a family who owned a very famous, very well-known port company called the Ramos Pinto. And so when I was a child, we'd come out to Portugal every holiday, every opportunity ah. we got to come out to Portugal. 
And so for me, I've always had this affinity with the place. I love the people. I love the country as a whole. I love their thinking and their mentality. They are hardworking people. They're kind people. They are, it's, um, it is this forgotten country on the edge of Europe. People don't talk about Portugal. It's this sort of forgotten place. And that makes it, for me, even more wonderful. It's one of the last, the few remaining wildernesses in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly the area, area I am, which is called the Alentejo, which is this very old school, old traditional area of Portugal where, you know, I drive down to the village and, you know, there's this horse and cart on the road and they're going off to do their weekly oh, shop at the local place. And you, you know, you, you, if you, if I have too many lemons here, I'll go and give a couple to a neighbor and maybe too many eggs. And so he gives some back to me and then someone else put potatoes in the gate and then someone else put bread and you barter. And it's, you know, it's not backward. We've got Netflix, you know, we've got, we've got Amazon, we've got all these things, but the, the mentality is much more traditional and it's honest and it's kind. And I love that. And for me, it seemed to go hand in glove with what I was trying to, achieve for myself i guess oh, I right, right what a great story my goodness i've got to throw a little bit in that that in my life portugal is certainly not forgotten on two counts because having lived in rhodesia our neighbors were mozambique who spoke portuguese yeah. and we used yep. to go down that was our closest seaport was Beira in mozambique uh, it was oh, less yeah. than a day's drive uh, so we went there and um, in 2019, I decided I wanted to walk the Camino de Santiago. Well, I decided a long time before oh, you that. did it. And, and I did the one from Porto because yeah. it's, it's somewhat paradoxically, I speak French quite well and I have very few words in Portuguese. But because of time and constraints and a whole lot of stuff, I thought, let me do 250 kilometers Porto to, San, to Santiago. Great. So I spent four or five days, I think, until I got to the Spanish borders. Everything you said about the people, I, I, I saw it firsthand and absolutely loved it. And my only regret is because of my timing, I didn't have time to spend a couple of days in Porto and go around some of the wine and port places. Well, you will need to come back. You will need to come back. It, it doesn't matter how many times I say to people, you've got to try Portugal. Everyone goes, well, maybe, you know, we're going to Italy this year, we're going to France this year, we're going to Spain this year. And then they come to Portugal and they go, oh, my God, yeah. why didn't you tell us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's the most extraordinary, incredible country. I'm very lucky that I have wonderful friends, Portuguese friends who live here. Um, I am absolutely blessed. Family here really means family. Yes. And yes. I'm an estrangeiro, so I'm a foreigner. Um, but I'm treated like family by all of them. Um, and they think it's mad. This guy's come from corporate life and he's bought this hill farm in the middle and they all think I'm bonkers. <laughs> but yep. you know what? It, it's perfect. And, and you know, tonight after this, I'm going down to see a friend to have a glass of wine. We'll sit on this terrace to celebrate his son getting to university. We'll probably end up having dinner, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we'll put something on a grill. It'll be chilled out. I'll come home, get a bottle of You know, it's just, there's no... It's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's this wonderful environment, which is just all embracing and loving and caring. And I, I adore it. I absolutely adore oh, it. I'm envious. I, it sounds absolutely perfect. <laughs> so Simon, I've got it. let's um, move on to the corporate world. Let's go back to the corporate world for a moment. Uh, you believe that mm. the corporate world expects people to work at a, an intensity that is medically uh, unhealthy. 
why do you suppose that is? Mm. It's like push, 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 go, go, go. And it's, they're constantly demanding this of people. Why is that? It's a, it's a really good question. And it's one I've given a huge amount of thought to. And the, 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 this, the distillation of it, it comes down to any corporate environment where uh, targets are used uh, and, and, and money is given by incentive, effectively given by incentive. So any organization or industry which heavily incentivizes its individuals to achieve particular targets and does it in an aggressive, com highly competitive way. Now, that's not to say that targets are wrong. It's not to say that competition is wrong. But the way in which you go about it can be wrong. Mm -hmm. And there was an increasing thing, particularly in the 2000s and the, the and it is from 20, from 2000 to about 2019, probably the beginning of the pandemic, actually 2020, that it became increasingly aggressive. Um, the shouting, screaming mentality of bosses, if you're not hitting your targets, you're, you're out, you're fired, you're five. It's this kill or be killed mentality and whilst the wolf of wall street you know was and some some there's there was some screaming and getting people to literally stick knives in each other's backs in order to achieve particular goals that became all too common and i grew up in that environment of high pressure high target high incentive and massive rewards massive rewards i mean ridiculous sums of money um i was and I, you know the jobs i was doing let's be absolutely clear these, these weren't small jobs i ran the international arm of a very well-known very large international consulting company i advised government departments i advised governments in the middle east i went and did work i'm not going to say another bank but i did a lot of work in South America, working with particular banks who were being done for embezzlement and fraud and money laundering and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. These were big, high profile, high pressure jobs that were keeping me working 15, 16, 20 hours a day when necessary. The rewards were enormous. Mm -hmm. It was blank check stuff. It was write your own ticket. And I thought that was great. I thought that was the answer. And I've told this story on numerous occasions, but uh, there was one particular company I was working for where there was a rumor going around that I was having an affair with a, a girl who worked in the company. And there was, it wasn't true, it wasn't the case at all, but the two of us were close, she worked very closely with me, and there were a lot of rumors going around. And I was pulled into the office of my chief executive who said to me, hey, you know, Simon, there's some big things going on right now with this particular client and we don't want you distracted and we want you absolutely on the ball and so you know is there any truth in this rumor and i said you know no there's no truth in it. And he said well you know because if there is you know if you're worried about home and you're worried about your wife finding out we can provide an alibi if you need one if you ever need an alibi you know, so that you can have your affair because if having the affair makes you more effective, if it makes you more productive, if it makes you happier, yeah, we'll, we'll help. Now, at the time, looking back now, I'm horrified. Looking back now, I go, I cannot believe I worked for an organization where they actually thought that was palatable, let alone moral. But at the time, I remember thinking, wow, how lucky am I? I work for this amazing organization. I'm so valued by this company. They're prepared to help me have an extramarital affair if it helps me. You know, the, the warped, sense of reality that I had and morality that I had. I worked with a bank who were caught with a hand in the cookie jar. 
they were laundering money for, for, for I won't go into detail, but they were laundering money. And it's not, doesn't take rocket science to work out who the bank was. I went to work with that bank to help with that, one of those particular areas of that bank, work out how we could get away with it. Mm. And for that was very handsomely rewarded. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things that I look back on shame, but the thing I'm most shameful for was my behaviors at the time, what it, what it forced me, what it caused me to become to my wife and my family and my friends. And so when I look at the corporate world that I was part of, I can see friends and colleagues and people I worked with who were exhibiting the same behaviors as I was. So I know they're going to find themselves in the same place I did. And now post pandemic, I say post mid to post pandemic, everybody thought, Oh, the companies, they're not going to know what to do because no one's going to want to go back to the office. Everyone's going to work from home. Ah, we'll, we'll have the last laugh because all these companies want us to come back and we won't. The companies are delighted. They're not going back. The companies are over the moon that people aren't going back. They can sell their office space. They can get rid of infrastructure costs. They can now get people to work even more hours for even longer because now they're all remote. They're all online. They're all on Zoom calls. They're all on their phone 24-7. They can get their employees to work even harder than they used to. And they don't have to go to an office. They don't have to commute. So actually, if anything, it's going to get worse, Kathleen. My view on this is now is the time where we as employees people as employees need to be going to their bosses to their seniors to their company organization and saying you know what it is not acceptable that you're making me work 12 hours a day 15 hours a day it is not acceptable that i'm getting phone calls at seven o'clock eight o'clock nine o'clock ten o'clock at night it is not acceptable that i'm away from my family more than i'm with you it is not acceptable and until people start and i don't want to do a whole revolution thing and rise up everybody but it is time we all as as people started saying to our bosses this won't work you're going to kill people and i know now that my attempted suicide i was one of the lucky ones i saw the light at the very last minute but i also know that there's an awful lot of people who don't see the light and they do yep. kill themselves and they do take themselves out of the game and right. I understand why they do it. And I pick suicide. One corporate stress-related suicide is too many, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Agree. Simple as that. Agree. And, and there's a lot that don't take the ultimate step, but, but destroy their lives even worse with drugs or alcohol or, or something Absolutely. else. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Wow. So, you know, my alcohol addiction was huge. I, I was drinking a lot of alcohol, prescription meds. I was buying prescription meds off, off street dealers. I flew to Minneapolis one time. I got in a taxi and before I got to the hotel, I asked the taxi driver to find me a street dealer so I could buy Tamazepam before I even got to my hotel. Yeah. I was so addicted to prescription painkillers. My doctor was refusing to give me any prescriptions and was asking me to go to Narcotics Anonymous. And what did I say to him? Same as I said to my wife and to everybody else. What are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Yeah, no, I wasn't fine. I was wow. You, you've told us a lot about what you're doing, and, uh, and it's, it's wonderful, admirable. Uh, you mentioned changes because of the pandemic, the virus, and, and maybe we're coming out of it. Over and above the, the new effect of, of bosses wanting people working remotely to work even longer hours, have you seen stress increase because of fear and because of lifestyle being so altered by the pandemic? Have you seen the levels of stress go up a lot? Yeah, there's, there's, there's three things in particular that I have seen firsthand and, and sort of witnessed. The first is 
an increasing fear of the unknown for people. It's having, it's causing market volatility. It's causing yep. housing booms. It's causing the price of things to go up. Interest rates have just gone up in the UK. I've noticed, you know, there's a load of things happening and that's having an effect. And when you think of how leveraged people were with debt pre-pandemic, because we were in boom times, you know, a sudden spike of 0.25 or half a percent or 1% mm -hmm. in interest rates can literally make the difference between an individual being able to pay them a mortgage or not pay them. Or not. Yep. So mm -hmm. yep. we are going to see uh, the financial ramifications of that kind of fear side of things. The second thing is I have on the positive side seen a huge amount of new innovative approaches to business because of having to work, work remotely. There are new businesses popping up left, right and center that are taking advantage of the situation as it is, which is a good thing. The flip side of that is exactly what I was talking about just now. I think corporations are going to use it as an opportunity to ramp down their infrastructure costs, ramp up their, uh, uh, put more people in, in, in employment, but turn the handle, crank the handle faster. They're going to want people to work much harder, uh, much longer hours, and it's going to happen by default. It's not going to mm -hmm. happen. People aren't going to go and work for a company that says we want you to work 16 hours a day. I never signed a work contract that said I would do more than 37 and a half hours a week. Never. And yet I was doing some days, I was doing 20 hours, 21, some days I'd go right through for two days. So, you know, they're, they're going to crank up the pressure. And I think we're going to see more and more people, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more and more people having stress-related breakdowns as a result of this. But I think the key one for me, and the reason why I'm, I, and one of the things I wanted to talk about today, and this, this is the only bit of promotion I did, because I've, I've said to you in our conversations previous, I, I'm not on radio shows and podcasts to promote anything. It's not a commercial side, this is purely vocational. But I, I wanted to do with myself going forward. And I had this idea about writing a book, and it was a I wanted to go around and I wanted to talk to others who had gone through similar things to me, how they'd come out the other side of it, how they triumphed over adversity, if you want to call it that. And I wanted to call it 24 Stories of Hope or something like that. And I wanted to write a book about that, that focused on individuals and their stories. And, and the, the idea being that it would give other people the inspiration if they were feeling low or down or whatever. And then I had this kind of weird, quirky idea. And this is the way my brain works now. And it said, what about if you did it from a What about if you go in the camper van, RV, as the Americans and Canadians call it, mm -hmm. all around the place, and you spoke to people from different countries, and then it embryonically moved from there, and I went, actually, do you know, that'd be kind of cool. If I went and did that in every EU country, and in each country, I could speak to an individual from there, see how they and that country were affected by coronavirus and by the pandemic, what steps and measures have they taken, how has corporate life changed within that country, within that industries, and so on. And this idea was born, and that which I call EU, me and the kids, which I think is particularly mm -hmm. clever because EU in Portuguese means me. So yep. effectively, what it's called is me, me and the kids. And the kids are what I call my dogs. Ah, right. uh, Nala and Zia, my Rhodesia Ridgebacks, will be coming. My, my real kids are older, 25 and 22. They're not gone. They're, they're, they're doing their own thing now. Um, but you, you, me and the kids effectively means me, me and the kids. And it's my plan is to drive around all 27 member states of the EU to meet individuals in each country, get their stories of how they have triumphed over mental unwell and mental illness and how they've come out the other side of it and how they're happier and better and stronger. And at the same time, do a bit of a post-match analysis on coronavirus mm -hmm. and how it's mm -hmm. affected the corporate life 
in that particular country. And that starts next year. I, uh, oh, very I, good. I set off, set off next year. I'm terrified. I'm not a great camping person. I have no idea how I empty my own excrement from a van. <laughs> uh, Carefully. Uh, uh, but you know what? I think there's a good book in it. I think there's a good book in it. And all proceeds oh, from yes. the book will be going to mental health charities. There won't, it's not for profit. It's all being done with all proceeds. If, if I ever get published, all proceeds will go to mental health charities around Europe is the plan. Excellent. 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 So how long is that going to take you? To answer that question. Well, I said six months. Yeah. I said six months. But the more I think about it, the more homework I do on it, the more I talk to people who've done big journeys, the more they go, give yourself a year. Give yourself a year to do it. But the plan is, I want to find someone to come and take over this place for a year and run this place. Mm -hmm. Um, I have uh, got the RV. Uh, so I set off, I'm planning on setting off on or before the 1st of June next year. Maybe I'll be before that. Actually. I'm thinking I might do spring, but 1st of June next year. And I'm giving myself a year to do it. Oh, now, the interesting thing about it is I'd like to come back on to your show yes. in 18 months time to answer, oh, question, to answer the question, Definitely. how has coronavirus changed the corporate landscape, and then I'll be able to answer you with real experience and real knowledge. And I think that absolutely. Be cool to come back on and talk to you oh again. yeah, that that would be good. We're we're getting close to time. I got a burning question to ask you, but I think Kathleen wanted to ask you something quickly. Well, actually, I, I just wanted to find out a little bit. I'm curious about your luxury teepees. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about those? I know we're running low on time, but I, I had to ask. Teepees. Oh, listen, I'm sorry. I, it's my fault. I talk too much. I've got a million no. things I want to say. No, it's, it's fine. This is good. Um, the, um, I've never liked camping. I'm going to put my hand up and say I've never liked camping. And my wife, uh, who, as you know, is no longer, no longer with me, but my wife would always try and encourage me to go camping. And I would hate it. They were never big enough. They were never long. I'm quite a big guy and tall guy. And I never managed to fit in a tent. And then someone said to me, what about teepee? Have you stayed in a teepee? And I thought, ridiculous. They went out with the ark. What are you talking about? And then I stayed in one. And it was glorious and wonderful. And it's beautifully cool at night. And it's cool in the daytime and warm at night. And it's big and spacious and roomy. And it just, it's divine. And so I thought, what about if I put some teepees on the land here? And then people coming yeah. out and doing... If they were to get as a retreat, they could stay in them. So contact this company, found them. The teepees, I've got some amazing views in the land overlooking an entire valley. So yeah, they are traditional teepees. They're made new. They're traditional teepees. They're 25 feet wide at the base. Wow, that's big. Yeah, so they're big. They'll be on a, a wooden platform. So away from all the creepers and these, they'll have log burners in. So they'll be nice and warm in the winter. You can actually put logs in them and get the fire going big double beds, uh, everything. It, they are magnificent. So I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, uh, teepees are, in my opinion, the ultimate form of glamping. The ultimate yes. form of glamping. I will never go near a normal canvas tent again, I can assure you. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. <fabulous. laughs> uh, quick one for you. You've had lots of experience in the corporate world yeah. and, and with uh, your own and other people's uh, mental health issues. 
So you, you're a good person to ask this question. What do you think is the most important characteristic or, or habit or attribute that separates well-balanced, contented people from the average who, as we've been talking about, are stressed and always striving for something they're not going to achieve anyway? What's the difference? Is there a key? Yeah, yeah. And my and I can thank my wife for this. And it did, I didn't realize it until it was too late. But she used to say, when you wake up in the morning or go to bed at night, ask yourself the question, does the good outweigh the bad? And if the bad outweighs the good, then you have a responsibility to yourself and the universe around you to make a change. It is the most fundamental piece of advice, the most important and fundamental piece of advice I've ever been given. And I never listened to her until it was too late. And now I do it every night. Does the good outweigh the bad? And if it doesn't, you have a responsibility to yourself and the universe to make a change. Now, there are lots of people out there Tony Robbins and Mike Hudson and various others who they do this on a big scale. They stand in front of thousands of people and they'll say things like, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do with your life? And all these kind of things. But there's a big difference between having this idea and actually doing it. Mm -hmm. There's a huge difference between people who go, oh, I wish I could, and people who actually do. So at a more grassroots level and a more basic level, and, and I'm having this conversation with a family member right now who's having some interesting times in their relationship and they're struggling with whether they should stay or go. And I've said to them, notice I'm not giving gender here or any, any clue as to who this may be. Sure. I'm being very careful to that. Very careful, yeah. But I say to them, I've said to them a number of occasions, if you wake up in the morning and you believe that the bad outweighs the good, you've got a responsibility to change your life because otherwise you'll be happy. So the difference I think between people who are balanced is they are is it's people who are able to honestly look at themselves and their life and can genuinely have enough perspective to see what is the good and what is the bad and then have the courage and the bravery to make the changes that need to be made yeah. now it's an easy thing to say peter it's a very difficult thing to do it in practice and i'm not suggesting everyone has to go out tomorrow buy a tp and live in that for the rest of their lives i'm not i'm not advocating people leaving their jobs or their families or their wives or their kids i'm not simply saying you know yourself better than anyone you're the only person that's been with you every single minute of every single day of your entire life you're the only one so no one knows you better than you so ask yourself the question don't outweigh the bad and if it doesn't then make a change Fabulous. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. What a very, very profound. pleasure to have you on our show today. But oh, yeah. Before we go, ah. how do people contact you? Uh, so I'm on, much to my own chagrin, I'm on Instagram, for starters, <laughs> which I'm, I'm not a social media person. And I struggle every day going, oh, my Lord, what do I take a picture of today? And um, but I'm on Instagram at okay. Intorcida, which is spelled I-N-T-O-R-C-I-D-A. So at Intorcida. I also have a website, www.intorcida.com, uh, which you can get me on. And on there, you'll find my contact details, uh, my email address, number, and so on. And I want to state as a sort of final part, I, I'm happy for anyone to contact me at any time. I've had people contact me from all over the world saying, thanks for sharing. Thanks for being open and honest. Thanks for being self-deprecating and vulnerable. I've also had people come and say, I'm in real trouble at work. I've got a real problem in my relationship. I am not a trained counselor. If when it gets to a point, if it gets to a point where you need professional help, 
I will always point them in the, in the direction of a professional, but I'll always be a pair of ears to anyone. So if anyone wants to talk and get in contact, all they have to do is pick up the phone or drop me an email and I'll be there. Excellent. Oh, my Thank goodness. You. Thank you so much. Wow, that was Simon. wonderful. Thank you, Simon. It really was. And we will look forward to having you well, on our thank show. Thank you for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And uh, thank you. I will all. hold you to that. I'm yes. telling you, I'll hold you to it. Definitely. Yes, Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and sorry, Kathleen, a, a couple of progress reports along the way in the form of an email or something that we can put on our website or I can put on my blog would, would be wonderful. Absolutely. And thank you all so very much for tuning into sure. our show. No and once again, we love reading your comments. So keep those coming. And until next time, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.